across the UK. Overnights with Paul Ross. Time for us that adventure south of the border, down Mexico way, as Frank Sinatra and others used to sing, because we can welcome back to this show the man who graces Martin Kellner's great weekend show with his presence each and every weekend. John Bonfiglio joins us live, I believe, this morning from Mexico, which I know is in North America, but even so, there's a re- that's where he lives, but also we're going to be kind of revealing how North and South, South America are combining in the Copa America, because the draw's just happened in New York. Meanwhile, uh, John, we delighted to have you back on the programme. It was great to hear your voice. Apologies, I'm a bit croaky this morning, I've got a bit of a cold. Um, and we have an historic first in the 111-year-old history of the club called Santos. Pele's club for a huge number of years, of course. Something untoward, unexpected and downright depressive for a Santos fan has happened. Tell us more, please, John. Good morning, John. Welcome back. Okay, Paul. Uh, Yeah, look, almost a year, actually, since the death of footballing great uh, Pele, his beloved uh, lifelong team, Santos, has been relegated for the first time. Crazy, uh, statistically, in their 111-year history. Wow. Uh, say yeah famous actually only two other clubs have yet to be relegated but the famous iconic black and white striped shirts will now play in the brazilian second tier for the first time ever they actually went into the final round last night of fixtures uh, pretty confident of escaping relegation they were a point ahead of vasco da gama two points ahead of uh, ahead of bahia so basically they could lose as long as neither the vasco da gama or bahia won which actually they both ended up doing the nail in the coffin was that santos uh, conceded a 96 minute winner from uh, fortaleza who they were uh, playing against and they are down and it has caused widespread um, discontent sadness uh, not just in santos which is a sort of a suburb city uh, of sao paulo but also across brazil because of the fame of uh, the club and internationally as well uh, a year again uh, after the death of Pele where people are still in great mourning uh, over the the great man worth remembering I think that Santos is one of the most successful clubs in Brazilian history uh, eight titles including five in a row in the 60s 61 to 65 where they also won two intercontinental cups and Copa Libertadores in 62 and 63 in what is considered uh, still considered the best team in club history and uh, Pele played for Santos between 56 and 74 a crazy 583 appearances and 569 goals in fact people sometimes are critical of Pele say well he never played outside of Brazil he was at Santos the reason for that was I think if you played outside of Brazil in those days you could not be selected for the Brazilian national team and that was obviously a huge source of pride and ambition for him so that's why he was the only he spent a little time I think in New York with the Cosmos and then I think he went back to Santos or even combined the two I suppose with the way the seasons worked differently around the year and it wasn't just Pele was it as part of that golden generation I mean football players maybe should be better known in this country legendary figures of the Brazilian game also alongside the great man yeah I mean huge huge uh, figures uh, Coutinho also played at the time and they had a, they had a crazy strike force that could comprise most of the Brazilian uh, team it was absolutely unique you said, as you say it was partly also because of, of the you know the rules around uh, qualification for uh, for the Brazilian national side but also I think in a way that takes a little bit away from uh, from Pele the man because he was completely devoted to this team that had been absolutely everything for him and where the remainder that his family continue uh, to live in this sort of fringe city of, of Sao Paulo. It was his life. It was his everything. And you, you say he went to New York Cosmos just for a couple of years at the tail end of, uh, of his career. But basically that was, you know, he was a one club uh, guy throughout his entire uh, footballing career. 
Now, I know the simple and obvious answer is they weren't good enough when asked why were they relegated. But are there other things going on at the club? Is it, I don't know, ownership changes or lack of finance or something? What do, what do we put the relegation down to? Yeah, they've had they've had financial troubles for a while now. They've been really struggling to um, to make ends meet. A series of difficulties uh, there, and they've they've been in in I guess difficulties on the pitch as well for a while. They've been flirting with relegation on and off for for a period. They've definitely not reached the heights that we're used to uh, seeing them at for a good few years now. So in a way, it's not unexpected. It's not something which has just come out completely out of the blue. But still, you know, you hope that these iconic sides can weather these storms and that they're sort of blips but uh, but that's very much not the case and it's also unclear given the financial structure and financial viability of the club that Santos will come straight back up and we'll have to wait and see what what takes place when they uh, when they go down because for a lot of teams uh, when that takes place actually their finances go even further into the black hole uh, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens next year as to you know their viability in terms of uh, coming straight back up again into the Serie A of, of Brazil. We've also got news of the Copa America draw, which happened, I think, in New York only a matter of hours ago. What are the standouts from that, as far as you're concerned, John? Um, I, always, I think, uh, you know, USA, Mexico, uh, Argentina at the moment as well, especially Scaloni in terms of his future. Is he going to continue uh, leading the, the Argentine side or not? There's lots of really big questions. I mean, we're still quite a few months away from... Uh, from the tournament, so it's difficult to know where we're going to be at that particular point in time. But, you know, big questions for sure, uh, again, leading up to the 2026 World Cup, which is going to be in the USA, Canada and Mexico. And what is the, the, the current state of the Brazilian stadiums and the infrastructure built around the last time Brazil hosted the World Cup? Because we know that in parts of South Africa where the stadiums went up, the, the legacy has been virtually non-existent, sadly. Is it similar in Brazil? Now, the Brazilian infrastructure tends, has always historically been pretty good. I mean, they didn't have to build things from scratch in the way that they had to, uh, say, for, uh, for the Olympics. I mean, those, the stadia in Brazil are gen, uh, generally, understandably, you know, used at high-end matches all the time, perhaps in a way that the South Africa stadium, uh, stadium are not. So I think the country has generally benefited from, uh, from the World Cup and the infrastructure, uh, there. We certainly don't hear stories about, um, you know, collapsing uh, bits of stadia in the way that, but we perhaps used to sort of 10, uh, 10, 20 years ago. So I think that was really, that World Cup was a real boon for the, for the region and for, uh, Brazilian football for sure. Now there's often, um, humour to be had in this country when we do the results, when we talk about, I don't know, Exeter going all the way up to Barrow and Finesse for a game, or I uh, say Middlesbrough having to travel to Plymouth, you know, I know it's happened for, hasn't happened for some time. But of course those distances, which seem a lot in our terms, are as naught compared to some of the distances teams at the moment travel within South America. And with it, when, when the North Americas are involved in it as well, it's going to be a, a hugely travel kind of mileage heavy competition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it spans the very uh, uh, ends of the you know, of the southern uh, tip of uh, uh, down towards Argentina, right up to the USA, and that, and that, that is, as you say, you make it, they are kind significant of differences. Pa- Patagonia FC versus Anchorage, Alaska. That's a trek and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on on on, on a private little jet plane going all the way up there, which is definitely not. And I mean, even when you have uh, just the 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 uh, Central American, well, I say the, the North American qualifying or even the, the Conmebol uh, qualifies, you know, that's still significant distances traveled between a sort of Colombia and a Uruguay and so on. But as you say, when you bring in North America as well, that, it, that really increments it 
uh, pretty significantly. And actually, the club sides do that fairly regularly mm. in the Copa Libertadores uh, as well. It is a significant geographical area, this. And let's turn now to some of the wider news, broader news stories happening in your part of the world at the moment. One is the end, it seems like the, almost the end of an era or the closing of an era is upon us. Juanito Castro, sister of the Castros, has actually passed away and died at the age of 90. She was, uh, to say she wasn't particularly a communist supporter is putting it mildly, I think, isn't it? A remarkable figure because she she definitely was not a communist supporter, but she also never um, rejoiced in the downfall of her of her of her brothers on on the island. She always said that it, it, for her it was they were family. They were always going to be family, and they just had different ideological uh, positions. Yeah, the key thing was she she was not a believer in the no. uh, human human experiment. To the extent that she actually collaborated as a mole for the CIA, still lived on the island in in the 60s for years, which her brothers knew about. She always thought that it was only her mother's, her mother still being alive, which protected her against uh, any acts against her, her person. And then when she finally died in 1963, actually, interestingly, also, when she finally left, it was actually her brother Raul that helped her to get yeah. a visa to Mexico uh, to escape. For them, always family was the most important thing, you know, first and foremost, beyond uh, beyond the, I guess, you know, the Cuban communist uh, project. And then she settled into life as uh, in uh, in Little Havana in, in Florida, where she was a pharmacist and yeah, just quietly went about her way. But certainly that, you know, the, the passing of uh, we're experiencing the passing of an age uh, here in in the Americas and certainly in in the in the Latin Caribbean, if you like, in terms of the deaths that are taking place in uh, in Cuba. Now, we've spoken in the past about the problems Venezuela's had with this ec economy, with people fleeing the country, see, of many of them economic migrants, admittedly, and causing problems or challenges, at least in that part of the world. Venezuela now seems to have upped the ante because they made that bizarre unilateral declaration last week that they were seizing something in the region of, what, 60% uh, of Guyana's, Guyana's land, which means, I presume, that part of the world countries must be preparing to be on a war footing, are they? Well, you know, I think it is actually we, uh, war is not really an issue in Latin America. Latin America has lots of different uh, problems. But actually, you've got to go right back almost a century to the last one, the Ecuadorian Peruvian War, which is almost a similar sort of squabble over territory uh, as this. Uh, but this is a crazy situation where this um, this referendum last Sunday, which the, the Venezuelan government uh, say received a 95 percent vote in favor. I think we can take that with a pinch of salt, uh, meant that almost immediately afterwards, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro declared a formal annex annexation. Immediately, Paul, maps in Venezuela were redrawn and distributed to, uh, to homes and to schools. And he's ordered state oil companies to begin exploration and uh, extraction in what is a hugely oil-rich region. And this is the issue. It mm. is a hugely oil-rich uh, jungle within uh, Guyana. For his part, the Guyanese president, Irfan Ali has just said this is an existential threat to the nation. And I, I, I can't see Venezuela backing down on this. Um, I think we are very likely to see at the very least uh, skirmishes, conflict, but also something even uh, more deadly, potentially. More on those stories and many others with John Monfiglia when he joins Martin Cohen at the weekend. He's always a welcome on this programme, top broadcaster and journalist based in Latin America, based in Mexico. Talking to me, Paul Ross, new guys on Talk Sports.